0: Chapter Fifteen of the Case of Jenny Bryce. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Case of Jenny Bryce by Mary Roberts Reinhardt, Chapter Fifteen. After twenty-four hours' deliberation, the jury brought in a verdict of guilty. It was a first-degree verdict. Mr. Howell's unsupported word had lost out against the scar. Contrary to my expectation, Mr. Holcomb was not jubilant over the verdict. He came into the dining-room that night, and stood by the window, looking out into the yard. "'It isn't logical,' he said. "'In view of Howell's testimony, it's ridiculous. Heaven help us under this jury system, anyhow. Look at the facts. Howell knows the woman.' He sees her on Monday morning and puts her on a train out of town. The boy is telling the truth. He has nothing to gain by coming forward and everything to lose. Very well. She was alive on Monday. We know where she was on Tuesday and Wednesday. Anyhow, during those days, her gem of a husband was in jail. He was freed Thursday night, and from that time until his rearrest on the following Tuesday. I had him under observation every moment he left the jail Thursday night, and on Saturday the body floated in at the weekly. If it was done by Ladley, it must have been done on Friday, and on Friday he was in view through the periscope all day. Mr. Reynolds came in and joined us. There's only one way out that I see he said mildly. Two women have been fool enough. "'to have a name tattooed over their hearts. "'No woman ever thought enough of me "'to have my name put on her. "'I hope not,' I retorted. "'Mr. Reynolds' first name is Zachariah.' "'But as Mr. Holcomb said, "'all that had been proved "'was that Jenny Bryce was dead, "'probably murdered. "'He could not understand "'the defense letting the case go to the jury "'without their putting more stress "'on Mr. Howell's story.' but we were to understand that soon, and many other things. Mr. Holcomb told me that evening of learning from John Bellows of the tattooed name on Jenny Bryce and of how, after an almost endless search, he had found the man who had cut the name away. At eight o'clock the doorbell rang. Mr. Reynolds had gone to lodge, he being an elk, and several other things, and much given to regalia in boxes, and having his picture in the newspapers in different outlandish costumes. Mr. Pittman used to say that man, being denied his natural love for barbaric adornment in his everyday clothing, took to the different fraternities as an excuse for decking himself out. But this has nothing to do with the doorbell. It was old Isaac. He had a basket in his hand, and he stepped into the hall and placed it on the floor. "'Evenin', Miss Bess, he said. Can you see a bit of company tonight? I can always see you, I replied, but he had not meant himself. He stepped to the door and opening it, beckoned to someone across the street. It was Lida. She came in, her colour a little heightened, and old Isaac stood back, beaming at us both. I believe it was one of the crowning moments of the old man's life thus to see his Miss Beth and almost child together. Is, is he here yet? she asked me nervously. I did not know he was coming, so there was no need to ask which he. There was only one for Lida. He telephoned me and asked me to come here. Oh, Missus Pitman, I'm so afraid for him. She had quite forgotten Isaac. I turned to the school teacher's room and opened the door. The woman who belongs here is out at lecture, I said. Come in here, Icky, and I'll find the evening paper for you. Icky, said Lida, and stood staring at me. I think I went white. The lady here and I old friends, Isaac said with his splendid manner. Her mother, Miss Lida, her mother. But even old Isaac choked up at that, and I closed the door on him. "'How queer!' Lydia said, looking at me. "'So Isaac knew your mother? "'Have you lived always in Allegheny, Mrs. Pittman?' "'I was born in Pittsburgh,' I evaded. "'I went away for a long time, but I always longed for the hurry and activity of the old hometown. "'So here I am again.' Fortunately, like all the young, her own affairs engrossed her. "'She was flushed with the prospect of meeting her lover, "'tremulous over what the evening might bring. "'The middle-aged woman who had come back to the hurry of the old town, "'and who, pushed back into an eddy of the flood district, "'could only watch the activity and the life from behind, "'a let sign, did not concern her much. "'Nor should she have. "'Mr. Howell came soon after.' He asked for her and going back to the dining room, kissed her quietly. He had an air of resolve, a sort of grim determination that was a relief from the half frantic look he had worn before. He asked to have Mr. Holcomb brought down, and so behold us all, four of us, sitting around the table, Mr. Holcomb with his notebook, I with my mending, and the boy with one of Lida's hands frankly under his on the red tablecloth. I want to tell all of you the whole story, he began. Tomorrow I shall go to the district attorney and confess, but I want you all to have it first. I can't sleep again until I get it off my chest. Missus Pitman has suffered through me, and Mr. Holcomb here has spent money and time. Lida did not speak, but she drew her chair closer. "'and put her other hand over his. "'I want to get it straight, if I can. "'Let me see. "'It was on Sunday the 4th that the river came up, wasn't it? "'Yes, well, on the Thursday before that, "'I met you, Mr. Holcomb, in a restaurant in Pittsburgh. "'Do you remember?' "'Mr. Holcomb nodded. "'You were talking of crime, and I said—' "'No man should be hanged on purely circumstantial evidence. "'You affirm that a well-linked chain of circumstantial evidence could properly hang a man. "'We had a long argument in which I was worsted. "'There was a third man at the table, Bronson, the business manager of the Liberty Theatre. "'Who sided with you?' put in Mr. Holcomb. AND WHOSE VIEWS I REFUSED TO ENTERTAIN BECAUSE, AS PUBLICITY MAN FOR A THEATER, HE DEALT IN FICTION RATHER THAN IN FACT. PRECISELY. YOU MAY RECALL, MR. Holcomb, THAT YOU OFFERED TO HANG ANY MAN WE WOULD NAME, GIVEN A PROPER CHAIN OF CIRCUMSTANTIAL EVIDENCE AGAINST HIM. YES. AFTER YOU LEFT, BRONSON SPOKE TO ME. HE SAID BUSINESS AT THE THEATER WAS BAD and complained of the way the papers used, or would not use, his stuff. He said the Liberty Theatre had not had a proper deal, and that he was tempted to go over and bang one of the company on the head, and soak get a little free advertising. I said he ought to be able to fake a good story, but he maintained that a newspaper could smell a faked story a mile away, and that, anyhow, all the good stunts had been pulled off. I agreed with him. I remember saying that nothing but a railroad wreck or a murder hit the public very hard these days, and that I didn't feel like wrecking the Pennsylvania Limited. He leaned over at the table and looked at me. "'Well, how about a murder, then?' he said. "'You get the story for your paper, and I get some advertising for the theatre. We need it, that's sure.' I laughed it off, and we separated. But at two o'clock, Bronson called me up again. I met him in his office at the theatre, and he told me that Jenny Bryce, who was out of the cast that week, had asked for a week's vacation. She had heard of a farm at a town called Horner, and she wanted to go there to rest. Now the idea is this, he said. She's living with her husband, and he has threatened her life more than once. It'll be easy enough to frame up something to look as if he'd made away with her. We'd get a week of excitement, more advertising than we'd ordinarily get in a year, you get a corking news story, and find Jenny Bryce at the end getting the credit for that. Jenny gets a hundred dollars in the rest, and Ladley, her husband, gets, say, two hundred. Mr. Bronson offered to put up the money, and I agreed. The flood came just then, and was considerable help. It made a good setting. I went to my city editor and got an assignment to interview Ladley about this play of his. Then Bronson and I went together to see the Ladleys on Sunday morning, and as they needed money, they agreed. But Ladley insisted on fifty dollars a week extra, if he had to go to jail. We promised it, but we did not intend to let things go as far as that. In the Ladley's room that Sunday morning, we worked it all out. The hardest thing was to get Jenny Bryce's consent, but she agreed, finally. We arranged a list of clothes to be left around, and Ladley was to go out in the night and to be heard coming back. I told him to quarrel with his wife that afternoon, although I don't believe they needed to be asked to do it. And I suggested also the shoe or slipper to be found floating around. "'Just a moment,' said Mr. Holcomb, busy with his notebook. Did you suggest the onyx clock? No. No clock was mentioned. The... The clock has puzzled me. The towel? Yes. I said no murder was complete without blood. But he kicked on that. Said he didn't mind the rest, but he'd be hanged if he was going to slash himself. But as it happened, he cut his wrist while cutting the boat loose, and so he had a towel. Pillow slip? "'asked Mr. Holcomb. "'Well, no. "'There was nothing said about a pillow slip. "'Didn't he say he burned it accidentally?' "'So he claimed,' Mr. Holcomb made another entry in his book. "'Then I said every murder had a weapon. "'He was to have a pistol at first, "'but none of us owned one. "'Mrs. Ladley undertook to get a knife from Mrs. Pittman's kitchen "'and to leave it around, not in full view, "'but where it could be found.' a broken knife no just a knife he was to throw the knife into the water that was not arranged i only gave him a general outline he was to add any interesting details that might occur to him the idea of course was to give the police plenty to work on and just when they thought they had it all and when the theatre had had a lot of booming and i had got a good story to produce jenny price safe and well. We were not to appear in it at all. It would have worked perfectly, but we forgot to count on one thing. Jenny Bryce hated her husband. Not really hated him, cried Lida. Hated him. She is letting him hang. She could save him by coming forward now, and she won't do it. She is hiding so he will go to the gallows. There was a pause at that. IT SEEMED TOO INCREDIBLE, TOO INHUMAN. THEN, EARLY THAT MONDAY MORNING, YOU SMUGGLED JENNY BRYCE OUT OF THE CITY? YES, THAT WAS THE ONLY THING WE BUNGLED. WE FIXED THE HOUR A LITTLE TOO LATE, AND I WAS SEEN BY MISS HARVEY'S UNCLE WALKING ACROSS THE BRIDGE WITH A WOMAN. WHY DID YOU MEET HER OPENLY AND TAKE HER TO THE TRAIN? MR. HOWELL BENT FORWARD AND SMILED ACROSS AT THE LITTLE MAN. "'One of your actions, sir,' he said, "'do the natural thing, "'upset the customary order of events, "'as little as possible.' "'Jenny Bryce went to the train, "'because that was where she wanted to go. "'But as Ladley was to protest "'that his wife had left town, "'and as the police would be searching "'for a solitary woman, "'I went with her. "'We went in a leisurely manner. "'I bought her a magazine and a morning paper.' "'asked the conductor to fix her window, "'and, in general, "'acted a devoted husband "'seeing his wife off on a trip. "'I even,' he smiled, "'I even promised to feed the canary.' Lida took her hands away. "'Did you kiss her good-bye?' "'She demanded. "'Not even a chaste salute,' he said. "'His spirits were rising. "'It was, as often happens, "'as if the mere confession removed the guilt.' I have seen little boys who have broken a window show the same relief after telling about it. For a day or two, Bronson and I sat back enjoying the stirrup. Things turned out as we had expected. Mrs. boomed at the theater. I got a good story, and some few kind words from my city editor. Then the explosion came. I got a letter from Jenny Bryce saying she was going away, and that we need not try to find her. I went to Horner, but I had lost track of her completely. Even then, we did not believe things so bad as they turned out to be. We thought she was giving us a bad time, but that she would show up. Ladley was in the blue funk for a time. Bronson and I went to him. We told him how the thing had slipped up. We didn't want to go to the police and confess if we could help it finally he agreed to stick it out until she was found at a hundred dollars a week it took all we could beg borrow and steal but now we have to come out with the story anyhow mr holcomb sat up and closed his notebook with a snap i'm not so sure of that he said impressively i wonder if you realize young man that having provided a perfect defense for this man ladley "'you provided him with every possible inducement "'to make away with his wife. "'Secure in your coming forward at the last minute "'and confessing the hoax to save him, "'was there anything he might not have dared with impunity?' "'But I tell you I took Jenny Bryce out of town on Monday morning.' "'Did you?' asked Mr. Holcomb sternly. "'But at that the schoolteacher, "'having come home and found old Isaac "'sound asleep in her cozy corner,' set up such a screaming for the police that our meeting broke up. Nor would Mr. Holcomb explain any further. End of chapter 15